Hello there, and welcome to The K-Word, a professional wrestling podcast brought to you by me, Mitch, and Kev. Kev. And James. Hello. Hello there. Uh, we are, um, today, we're going to have a, a little bit of an appreciation chat about everyone's favourite animal, Batista. Um, we did this, as James just said, to be uh, hipsters. But it's been announced this past week that he's coming back for SmackDown 1000. And what better time to talk about one of the best wrestlers of the Ruthless Aggression era, who's transitioned very nicely into a Hollywood movie role. And he's got a lot of parallels with other superstars of that era that I think really interesting discussion to have. Uh, But the first thing let's talk about is, is him coming back for SmackDown 1000 as part of Evolution. So what do we think about this? Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing him back. It's his first time coming back since uh, his movie roles. Um, he was not, in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? He was yeah, the, he was Drax the Destroyer. Oh, that's it. Yes, the, the guy. Yes. A breakout role and really showcased his comic timing on that as well. Um, kind of nothing goes over my head. Uh, that's my it. reflexes are too quick, aren't they? Uh, yeah, we'll obviously cover Guardians a lot more when we go into his career. But I think since July 2014, when he was in that film, he's kind of become a megastar on the same level, uh, I'd say, as maybe Cena in terms of like blockbusters starting, maybe slightly higher. Yeah, I'd say so. No, Cena's not been any Mar- in any Marvel movies, has he? Not yeah, I, mean, I didn't really, I wasn't really interesting at all when we first watched Guardians. When did Guardians come out? July 2014. Yeah, and I remember you saying to me, oh, that guy's a wrestler. And being like, oh, okay, sure, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and uh, I knew then, I knew Cena and hmm. Undertaker, I think, and that's probably it. <laughs> Fair. So, yeah, um, it definitely raised his profile a lot. Yeah. So him coming back as part of Evolution on SmackDown, it's that that strikes yeah, me as kind that doesn't of, make any sense, does it? Not really. When Evolution were very much a raw faction during Triple H's reign of terror, it yeah. it just seems a bit like Triple H is the boss, so he's putting himself in front again. Like Batista had quite a legacy on his own on SmackDown. Yeah, Batista and Orton both separately have had very lengthy runs at the top of SmackDown. But, I mean, as, as Paul Heyman famously once put it, Triple H doesn't like working Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> but is, is willing to for, for... Is willing to for the thousandth episode? Just He'll go yeah. second day for pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The nostalgia pop will do it. So, And they are, just to dwell on the current product for a little bit longer... They are really going all in on the nostalgia pop at the minute, aren't they? A little bit. I mean, I assume this will come out like maybe a week or so after recording. But at the time of recording, we are less than 48 hours away from The Undertaker versus Triple H. This one's the last time, ignore when we said end of an era a few years ago. And it's rumoured that that will then continue on into a tag match of DX versus the Brothers of Destruction at Survivor Series. So... Who, who do you think would have been a better choice to have on SmackDown? Do you think The Rock? What, for SmackDown 1000? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because SmackDown is 
especially when it was launched, SmackDown seemed like The Rock's show. Uh, but I, I don't mind Batista. I don't mind The Undertaker coming back for SmackDown. I just think Evolution as a faction seems like an odd one to bring back for it. Yeah, because they were never on uh, on SmackDown. They di- they didn't even like do a an hashtag under siege appearance on SmackDown. Yeah, it just be it's weird that they're doing it, but I suppose Triple H is in charge and he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, if it brings Batista back, then I'm fine with it. To be honest. Yeah. Do you mind pause for just a moment? I need sure. to go and take an insect outside. <laughs> It's a daddy long legs. It's just flying around and around and around in our house. Yeah, no worries. Go for it. Come on, Pat. Come on. Get your legs in. Go down. No. There you go. No. Get your long legs in. There we go. Do you want me to open the window for you? Yes, please. <laughs> oh, boy. She's using so much. Why are they doing this? Wouldn't you? Oh, I guess. I'll see it. It's in the box. The it's still in the club. It's gone now. Hey! Thank you. Isn't it nice when stories have a happy ending? Hey! It was just fucking around that light and we were both staring at it, weren't we? <laughs> a little bit. Uh, right. Where so, were we? So, while you were just saying that you very happy to see Batista back. What do you think it is about Batista that made him, well, such a huge film star, but also he cut his teeth in the wrestling business at quite a, I think he was in his mid-30s when he debuted. Yeah. Uh, but he's got uh, like an excellent sense of ti- comic timing as well as just like dramatic timing. Uh, he had an incredible look. Anything else you want to pick out as a, as a hallmark of Batista? I think it's a combination of his charisma, his presence, and his booking. Okay. Like, I think that's one of the things that I found really impressive going back and uh, uh, looking at him, um, was that when you go back and watch the matches, especially like the ones in 2005, the crowd loved him. And I think a large part of that is because he wasn't sort of pushed down people's throats. Like him and Randy Orton were, you know, essentially Triple H's henchmen in Evolution. And they wanted to push Orton as the main eventer from that group. Um, and because they tried to get him over as like, you know, plucky face, it just didn't work. Um, and meanwhile, Batista was just standing there being cool. <laughs> and yeah. they, they, to their credit, they capitalised on it incredibly successfully. Yeah, that that sounds about right. That was when I was doing the research for this episode. I was thinking he, the booking in a way that seems to so rarely work for WWE, they seem to book it perfectly, and they didn't necessarily put too many feet wrong on the way that turned the crowd and I can't think of many other wrestlers who's, who especially in their first two years or first couple of years in the business seem to have this flawless run that at no point or that doesn't get sidetracked when they stop paying attention or something 
so let's break it right down and go into that booking. In sure. uh, May 2002, he debuts on SmackDown, and he's paired with a wily old veteran at this point, Reverend Devon Dudley, who's, <laughs> yeah, who's doing a religious preacher gimmick uh, based on his kind of testify catchphrase from the tag team. And he debuts as Deacon Batista, who's a huge, heavy enforcer for Reverend Devon. Reverend Devon. Uh, and, yeah, it's an auspicious start, as I was just saying about um, great booking and a great start. It's a weird role. It's a bit um, Bull Buchanan-y. Yes, it really is. Like, I think when we talk about the good booking that Batista had, it's probably worth sort of having the uh, the asterisk there that it's kind of more after he went to Raw. Yeah. Did um, anybody else ever have such a terrible start? Uh, what, and get over? Yeah. I mean, you could argue The Rock, I suppose. The Rocks started very plain. Dolph Ziggler started in the Spirit Squad. Yeah, I mean, Ziggler's not really on the same level as Batista, though, is he? No. Uh, the Rock was like Rocky Malvia, wasn't he? Rocky Malvia, yeah. Malvia, yeah, and he comes out with all these... But that, that was WWE trying to push him. Batista was, as Mate says, just like, you know, the Bull Buchanan, like the un- incredibly undercard. You wouldn't be surprised to see him losing on an episode of Sunday Night Heat character right um kind of like the 2002 version of camacho or someone i'm trying to think of other obscure rubbish big men yeah um it doesn't really seem to happen though because they get weeded out in nxt rather than weeded out before they get pushed straight onto screen and the the days of an enforcer apart from maybe like modern day drew mcintyre but He's treated completely differently. He's treated like a, a huge enforcer who you should actually be scared of. Uh, Deacon Batista was a uh, like jobber enforcer. Yeah. But uh, despite that, he has a relatively good run on TV. He has an early feud with Randy Orton, who's also just come up from Ohio Valley Wrestling at the same time. He has his inevitable uh, feud with Devon after they split up. And he loses on TV for the first time to Rikishi. So that's uh, a reasonable start. He has a feud with a, another rookie. He has uh, he splits with his mentor and has the feud there. It it seems like a, a bedding in period for this kind of first six months in the business. And then he's moved to Raw, and it's like let's strap a rocket onto this lad. Yeah. And so it's only a couple of months after moving to Raw, right, that he was in Evolution in a spot that was originally earmarked for Mark Jindrak. And if the listeners are thinking, who's that? <laughs> then that probably kind of proves the point about how it was a good decision to go with Batista. So they just chose not to, they chose Batista instead, did they? Yeah, there's actually footage uh, that's been leaked online of like the Evolution Titantron, like an alternate cut of it with Jindrak in Batista's spot. Oh. So I don't know whether that's a sign that they did a very good job changing Jindrak to Batista or whether Batista did a very good job getting in on evolution. <laughs> and would we be talking about Mark Jindrak's appearances as Drax the Destroyer? <laughs> weird thought, isn't it? Jindrak's the Destroyer, presumably. <laughs> oh, nice. oh. Uh, 
So very early in his run on Raw, he's um, Ric Flair is managing Triple H at the time. But outside Triple H's dressing room, Ric Flair comes up to approaches Batista, who's just stood there being silent and cool. And he says, I'm not going to do a Ric Flair impression. But he's like, big man, you're, you're great. You look like you could be better than the champ and kind of talks him up. Batista doesn't react initially, but eventually uh, accepts Ric Flair as his manager. And kind of you start to see the formation of this uh, stable of Ric Flair, Triple H and Batista. He beats Kane on his first pay-per-view, which, again, Kane is uh, probably uh, 2002 still a bona fide main eventer. Or yeah, I mean, fide... October 2002 is when he had the title unification match with Triple H, which unfortunately had the whole Katie Vick angle on it. But, oh, dear. Uh, was a main event feud. Uh, yeah, he definitely was right at the main event in December 2002 still. Yeah, you look at, and I think Austin's part-time in 2002, The Rock's gone in 2002. A lot of the big guys have gone, and Kane is one of the few people still standing from the Attitude Era. Foley's definitely gone at that point. Uh, So Kane putting him over means they've got a a plan for this guy. And uh, Triple H, because he's Triple H, forms Evolution in January 2003. Uh, and it's, as mentioned, Ric Flair, Big Dave Batista, and the young uh, stud Randy Orton, who they've got, if they've got plans for Dave, they've got even bigger plans for Randy Orton. Yeah, definitely. Um, in his first Royal Rumble, uh, Batista enters at number 28, which means like you don't enter the Royal Rumble that late if if you're not considered a contender to win it, and he's in the final four. Uh, like the only people who enter after him are, are Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. That's the kind of caliber that he's being uh, paired with compared to nine months earlier where he's in a comedy, like tag team ish with Devon Dudley. Yeah. Um, but just when you think they're going to go with this, he gets injured and he's out for eight months, which. Uh, could be a blessing in disguise, really, because around this time is the Triple H reign of terror. And he, Triple H is always champion. He's always cutting 20-minute long promos about this business. I am this business. <laughs> um, does the fact that Batista's not there for eight months of that kind of... Does it get him away from the negativity associated with that era? It's or is it because I mean Randy Orton was still there and he obviously came out of it fine. Uh, but on the other hand, it's unquestionably it worked out well for Batista not being there. And part of what kept Batista so over is the aura that he was able to preserve. So if he's not there to, you know, if he's not there, he can't lose the aura that he's got. So I think there's definitely a case to be made for it. It also gives. Um, the space to build the autumn fallout mm-hmm. from evolution, which they, uh, they, they try to build over, um, over 2004. So Batista returns in 2000 in December, 2003. And can uh, I very quickly highlight how he returned? Because I remember that being really cool. Yeah, go for it. Um, so triple H was feuding with Goldberg at the time. Um, 
and he was Triple H had set. He said, "I'm going to offer a million dollars to any wrestler who can put Goldberg on the shelf. I'm putting a million dollar bounty on Goldberg's head." And the story of the that episode of Raw basically is uh, like all you know these mid carders and jobbers and so on trying to take out Goldberg and failing because it's Goldberg and he's really cool. And then in the main event, Goldberg has a match against whoever wins it. And then after the match, Batista comes out through the crowd, um, attacks, you know, making this return that no one knew was happening. No one knew he was ready to return after being out for eight months, comes out, takes Goldberg out, does the whole, you know, wrapping a chair around his ankle and pilmanizing him thing. And then Triple H is there shaking his hand, handing over the case. And it's like Batista is the man who was able to collect the million dollar bounty on Goldberg. And it immediately was like, oh, yeah, Batista's back and he's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, no arguments with that at all. It's a, and the four of them of evolution stand up on the ramp and they like hold his hands up in the air. It's like, yeah, these guys are the top dogs and they're very quickly established as the top dogs. Mm. Um, Batista beats Shawn Michaels at Armageddon uh, and then wins the tag team belts. Uh in a gauntlet match with Ric Flair. Yeah, uh, this is Evolution's hold all the gold uh, pay-per-view, wasn't it? Yeah. Orton wins the Intercontinental title and Triple H, I think he retains the heavyweight title. But it's it's setting up and it's saying 2004 is the year of Triple H and Evolution. Yeah. And that's pretty much how it, how it goes for most of 2004. Uh... They keep winning stuff. There's a Randy Orton breaks out from uh, Evolution and has his feud with Triple H. Uh, and like you were saying, James, they try and put him over as a babyface, but Orton's just such a natural heel; it doesn't quite work. Yeah, and it's not just that as well. It's the fact that the way they tried to put him over as a babyface was he was a heel, and then Triple H turned on him. But instead of trying to get revenge on Triple H for it, there was kind of a feeling of Orton being on the run from Triple H because Orton was still the champion and Triple H was trying to get the belt. So you had the triumphant babyface who'd just been turned on by all these people. His, you know, his acts of triumph on the weekly shows was getting away from them. And the crowd just clearly were like, come on, just beat the crap out of Triple H already. <laughs> and then when they have the pay-per-view match, Triple H, you know, through aid from Flair and Batista, Triple H wins and takes the title back and immediately cut Orton's legs out from under him a bit, uh, which was great for Batista. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think Orton then goes to SmackDown or Orton's off, isn't he? He's no longer an issue in this feud. What uh, happened was they had... Uh, New Year's Revolution, the very start of 2005, they had a show in Puerto Rico uh, where the crowd was absolutely ravenous for everyone, but especially Batista, because this is right when they're starting to tease that Batista's going to turn on Triple H. Um, and the main event is an elimination chamber match for the, the at the time vacant uh, heavyweight title of Triple H, his, you know, buddy slash crony Batista his blood enemy, uh, Randy Orton, um, and then the other incredibly credible people at the time, Jericho, Benoit, and Edge. So Jericho had 
you know, been sniffing around the title for a while at that point. And in the build-up, the reason why the title had been vacant is there'd been a triple threat title match between Triple H, Benoit and Edge, where Triple H had been sort of taken out of the match. And then uh, Benoit made Edge tap out at the same time that Edge pinned Benoit. Um, and so the decision was, oh, OK, we don't know which one of you two deserves to be the champion, but clearly Triple H didn't win that match. So we're stripping the title <laughs> from him. We're putting it in the chamber. We've got this, you know, huge match. And the story was, is Batista going to turn? Like, is he going to seize his moment here? Um, and like they had a, a beat the clock challenge on Raw where the person who wins their match on Raw the quickest gets to be the last person out of their pod in the chamber. And it's set up essentially, you know, through outside interference and so on that Triple H is going to have the quickest time. Uh, and then Batista has a match against Rhino um, where Batista's like blatantly stalling, but then Rhino slaps him and Batista just snaps, clotheslines him down, spine buster, Batista bomb, wins in like a minute. And then Triple H is like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, I was meant to be last out of the chamber. And then Batista's <laughs> like, look, I'm sorry, okay, Rhino pissed me off. And then Triple H like, what the hell? That's no excuse. You an idiot or what? And then Batista's like, hey, you are starting to piss me off now. And it's like, oh, what's he going to do? And then Randy Orton, you know, he's like, you know, you've seen what happens with Triple H. The moment he thinks you're a threat, he snaps and he takes you out. And do you want to be taken out or do you want to seize the moment for yourself and so on? And they do a really good job building it up. And then the conclusion of it is that Batista saves Triple H in the chamber. And in really dramatic fashion as well, there's the countdown for Batista to be unlocked and Triple H is in a Walls of Jericho and Crippler Crossface. <laughs> and I think then I remember that spot. It's Batista's time for the pod to come out and uh, the chain breaks and they're stuck with him banging desperately to try and get out of the pod while they can't get him out and Triple H is screaming in the ring. Then he finally gets in, breaks it up. And then not a few minutes later, isn't Batista in the crossface and um, you see Triple H oh, no, leaving it, him? What it is, is Batista single-handedly eliminates Jericho and Benoit. And then um, he's yeah, like uh, Orton like takes Triple H down. Batista's got Orton ready for the Batista bomb. Batista, uh, Orton low blows Batista. That's right. RKO's him, pins him. But you see Triple H go to get up to help and then collapse back down. And after the match, Triple H claims that he was doing it. Uh, you know, he wasn't. He was woozy. He lost yeah. too much blood, didn't he? Say? Yeah. You know, he had the hell beaten out of him. How could he uh, be expected to to make the saver? Um, <laughs> this business. Uh, Why yeah. Is so much fun to do impressions of. He's, it's just because he's silly, isn't he? Um, he he wants to be such a badass, and he's, he's just no. not. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like because deep down you know that he's the Connecticut blue blood, and because he wrestles in exactly the same way as he did when he was this idiot, it's it's really difficult to take him seriously, and he so wants to be taken seriously. Yeah. Uh, so he's just funny. Um, so yeah. So Orton was. Uh cheated out of the title there because, you know, while they're trying to get Batista out of the, the chamber, Ric Flair comes back in. Shawn Michaels, the special guest referee, is beating Flair up and then Batista explodes uh, with a clothesline on Orton that gives Triple H the win. Um, and then that sets up Orton versus Triple H at the Royal Rumble, where Batista was doing something else that we'll get to in a moment. Uh, <laughs> Triple H beats Orton 
And then after that, Orton turns heel uh, by RKOing Stacey Keebler um, <laughs> and has a WrestleMania match against The Undertaker, uh, which obviously he loses. And then after that is when Orton goes to SmackDown. Yeah. Just to fill in the Randy Orton part of the story before we go back to the main man. Because we're probably not going to get round to a Randy Orton appreciation hour. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a, a long list of wrestlers that we're going to talk about in between getting to Randy Orton. Uh, so at that Royal Rumble is the uh, he's in the final two of the Royal Rumble against the other uh, newcomer uh, John Cena. Yeah, Cena debuted the same month that Batista did. Really? Um, on SmackDown, they sort of, you know, there's a lot of parallels in their careers for the first few years, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and it's the famous blown finish of the Rumble where they both eliminate each other at the same time, and that's not supposed to happen. No. It's absolutely Incredible. Yeah, Batista is meant to get a clean victory, and somehow, down to the millisecond, they hit at the same time. And we watched this the other day, and it's very telling that it wasn't deliberate because they don't show a single replay. Yeah. Like they, they just do not want to chance. They didn't have it set up ready to go. They weren't planning on making a deal out of them hitting the floor at the same time. No, this is not a rock big show uh, no. from a few years earlier. This is this has gone wrong. So out marches a furious Vince McMahon from the back. He is walking like uh, just his legs are going crazy, and that's that's uh, appropriate because on his way into the ring, somehow he blows both of his knees. Yeah, uh, he's jumping in. He tears both quads. I think. Yeah, he's so angry. He tears his quads. So you have the very weird situation of loads of referees in the ring. Batista and Cena both think, kind of there thinking on the feet and both playing up, well, I won, well, I won. Yeah. And Vince like Batista is, throws Cena over the top rope and poses, and then Cena comes back in and throws Batista over the top rope and poses. And, and Vince... man sitting on the floor with his legs stretched out in front of him, yeah. barking orders at people. Just looking like a child demanding his dinner. <laughs> it's... It's one of the weirdest moments in wrestling history. It really is. Undeniably. And it's it's like you look at someone with the ego of Vince McMahon, who, like, hates showing weakness of any... He hates sneezing because he thinks it's a sign of weakness. And he's there on, like, being watched by millions of people at home and thousands of people in an arena with his legs broken. No, his (laughs) his hamstrings torn. And he's, he's utterly helpless. Uh, it's just, it's so wrestling, but so yeah. wrong. Um, and also you can tell that it wasn't scripted, and this is not a criticism, sorry, I've got hiccups now, it is not a criticism of the wrestlers, because they're both obviously fantastic, but the underwhelming, like, 30 second long well, after final it sequence, yeah. yeah, if it was real, they would have planned something. But as it is, it's just like, oh shit, yeah, I'm just gonna like throw you over now. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, Cena, Cena goes to throw Batista over, Batista reverses it and throws Cena over, and that's that. Yeah. It's um, incredible. They obviously don't have the, you know, they, they can't, yeah. It's, I mean, both, both of them, you know, had only been on the main roster like, under three years at that point. And the, yeah, they're both young. Probably, if uh, that had, if that sequence had occurred at the end of the Rumble, 
it might have worked, but because of the stop and all the weirdness, the momentum's gone. So all the drama of that finish, or the or, or the drama that should be there for that finish, isn't there. And it's just like, so Batista's won. Hey. Yeah. It's still one of my favourite rumbles of all time, though. And yeah. the the uh, messed up uh, finish absolutely plays into it. Like, if they tried to script it, they'd have screwed it up. Yeah, I can't think of another medium where you could have something like that play out the same way. Uh, it's that like that in many ways sums up why wrestling is fascinating. Yeah. Like if, if people listening to this, if you haven't gone back and watched the 2005 Royal Rumble in a while, go back and watch it because the whole thing is great. There's a bit of weirdness uh, near the start uh, and, and of its time, uh, key hazing of Daniel Puder. Followed yeah. by of its time racism issue with Mohammed Hassan. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, it's obscene the star quality in that match. Like at one point, I think you have in the ring at the same time, uh, Benoit, Guerrero, Jericho, Edge, Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels, Booker T, and Luther Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where they do the SmackDown versus Raw? Part. Yeah, they do. They have a bunch of SmackDown wrestlers and a bunch of Raw wrestlers, and they do the obligatory all the SmackDown guys facing off with all the Raw guys. Except at that point, it hadn't been done to death, so it was actually still you know it popped the crowd. And then they're fighting, and then that's when uh, Mohammed Hassan comes out, and it's a story of people coming together to bully <laughs> the Arab American guy. So uh, it didn't matter that John Cena didn't win the Royal Rumble. He got his. Uh, he got his championship match at WrestleMania against JBL. That's a different story. The one we're telling is between uh, the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, Batista has to pick, does he want to fight JBL or does he want to fight Triple H? And so this all takes place on Raw. Uh, Batista, I think Bischoff's in the ring. Teddy Long's in the ring. Batista's in the ring. Uh as are Triple H and Ric Flair. And it's that famous scene, uh, Bischoff saying, you got to fight Triple H, Teddy Long saying, come and fight JBL, be on SmackDown, be a legend, fight The Undertaker. Ooh, foreshadowing. And Triple H is saying, you know, evolution, uh, it can rule both brands. <laughs> you on SmackDown as champ, me on Raw as champ. And it's, it's ridiculous, because he, he's going through... Um, He's kind of going through the history and he's going like, imagine in the 80s, you could have had Ric Flair, NWA champ. And at the same time, uh, you'd have Arn Anderson. Uh. He's like, this has never happened before. And he's like, so he compares instantly puts himself in the same league as Ric Flair and Arn Anderson and Shawn Michaels by talking about Degeneration X. And it's like, yeah, but the D-Generation X that most people liked was when you were hanging out with those stoners uh, <laughs> and you were all a bit shit. Uh, but eventually, uh, Batista says something like, well, I've known what I'm going to do for a long time. And he looks like he's going to sign the SmackDown clipboard. And then he just puts his thumb down, signs, uh, puts his thumb down and spinebusters Triple H through a table Signs the raw contract. It's like the crowd go mental. Yeah. Like that is a genuine, like oh my god, you don't get pops like that anymore. No, yeah, it was done to perfection by everyone. Triple H getting in the extra 
bit of being loathsome beforehand and there's genuine <laughs> doubt in the crowd as to what is Batista going to do. And then finally you get that cathartic moment of him being, you know, you know, he's, he's learned under Triple H and Ric Flair and he knows what's coming and he knows that now's the time for him to strike out on his own and prove that he was the star of evolution all along and he's going to prove it in the main event of WrestleMania by becoming the world heavyweight champion. Yeah. Also well worth watching out for if you're kind of, if this uh, chat has inspired you to do a bit of backtracking on Batista in uh, the Armageddon of 2003, uh, Bischoff is in it and Bischoff has his jet black hair in this segment, not that many years later, he is com- like completely grey and white. And it's like, Bischoff, like, what has a year managing Raw done to you? Uh, <laughs> what it, it was, I remember that, because he still had the jet black hair in October of 2004. <laughs> That's when they had the Taboo Tuesday pay-per-view. Yeah. And one of the matches that happened was it was like Bischoff's wrestler versus... Yuji, uh, um, and the fan voted on stipulation was that it was hair versus hair, <laughs> and Bischoff lost and got his head shaved. And when his hair grew back in, it was apparent that he'd been dyeing his hair for a while because it just grew back in grey, and he didn't bother dyeing it. Yeah, it, it's just very funny seeing that <laughs> that go on. Uh, so we get to WrestleMania and. It's Batista versus Triple H in the main event, and you're thinking, well, I know how this goes down. It's Triple H at WrestleMania. During the height of his, like, power and this title, this title means everything to me. I will fight. I am the best man in this business today. Um, but Batista wins. Yeah. And, yeah, it's one of my favourite Triple H matches because... It does follow the rough Triple H template, but it the finish is satisfying and the booking leading up to it establishes Batista, who's only been around like two and a half years, maybe three years at this point, and is a bona fide megastar as a result of this match and the booking going into it. Yeah. And they didn't hot shot it, they didn't do it too quickly. It was a very, very slow build. Again, like we were saying probably helped by the injury that kept him out of the picture for a bit that could have gone stale. Yeah. But he's got everything. Batista's, he's fast. He's incredibly charismatic. He's got these big power moves. Like a Batista spine buster is way up there on like the, the Arn Anderson chart of spine busters. <laughs> yeah. It's he's, one of those ones where because of the way he sort of like boings back to his feet after he delivers it, it looks like he slammed them down so hard that it's, you know, the momentum's mat, carried him back the up. The mat has sort of like pushed back into him from the, you know, every action must have an equal and opposite reaction. And he's hit them into the mat so hard that the pressure's pushed him back up again. Yeah. Whereas like the rock spine buster, the rock had a very charismatic way of delivering it. But as far as the actual impact of the move, it always looked like he just placed them on their backs. And the rocks spine buster, most of the time led into the people's elbow. The It was uh, like the Spinebuster for Batista was the like his second finishing move, whereas the Rock Spinebuster was a setup move. Yeah. Uh, it just, he has all these big impact moves and that, there's a reason why 
big moves like the spine buster and a Batista bomb, which is like a big power bomb, don't get given out to every lad because it, it kind of keeps them special. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the, the idea that he's learned this, this Arn Anderson spine buster from Ric Flair and Triple H, who've been using it all this time. Oh, it's just perfection. Yeah. Uh, and so he has a decent title run. Uh, he beats Triple H two more times, once in a Hell in a Cell. Yeah, which is an excellent Hell in a Cell match. And the, sorry, you yeah. go. Uh, I was going to say, the first time Triple H has ever lost the Hell in a Cell match. First, well. first time he's ever been pinned. They say it's the first time he's ever lost, but I remember a six-way Hell in a Cell match <laughs> in the 2000s that Kurt Angle won. Okay, first time Triple H has ever been pinned in a Hell in a Cell match. Uh, and he oh, has... I don't mean to be a pedant, it just pissed me off when we were watching that match. <laughs> it did, can confirm. <laughs> and uh, he's, he uh, defeats Edge as well, who's he's not quite rated our superstar at this time, but he's getting there. He's a, a decent contender. So it's a strong title, Ray, but unfortunately, Triple H is done with him. And yeah. Triple H, as we know, doesn't work Tuesdays. So who's going to be the main event on Tuesday night? Batista. Batista. He basically gets a switch with Cena. Uh, Cena goes over to Raw as WWE champion. Batista goes to SmackDown as World Heavyweight champion. Again, this kind of weird career crossover. They're both in the Rumble. They're both champion. They switch. It's a very interesting thing. But I don't ever feel like Batista got hate in the same, by nowhere near the same level that Cena got. No, I mean, I think it's because, I I mean, ironically, until 2014 when he returned, then he probably did. But uh, at the time, certainly, I think it's because Cena was being positioned as like a Hulk Hogan-esque, you know, we're aiming, you know, this guy is going to be the guy that brings kids back into the product and so on. And like he was cracking cheesy jokes and so on. And Batista the main alert to him was just that he was cool. And Cena was never really cool. Even when he was like prime rapper Cena, it was always more that just he was funny more than that he was cool. Yeah. So just one thing here, um, it's probably worth bringing up. We're, you and I, James, are watching this and we're kind of, what, 14, 15 around this time? Keb, you're, you've watched this storyline and Batista play out in the past yes. couple of weeks. Are we uh, viewing Batista's run here with nostalgia, we, or do you agree that he's pretty awesome at this point? What's what's your take on it as a, a looking back on it? I don't fan? think it told such a good story in the time that I've been watching it. Yeah. I feel like it's really well set up. It's something that everyone is really engaged in. Mm. And, yeah, I I can't think of a story recently in WWE that's had that kind of attention given to it. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think it's nostalgia. I mean, you can even hear from the crowd's reactions to it and stuff. It's just different. It's more engaged. It's more, you know, interested in the actual product they're selling rather than the one they want them to be selling like it feels like they are now, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it's interesting because when we watched that WrestleMania 2005 main event of Batista versus Triple H, I distinctly remember you saying that you were surprised to hear the crowd 
so zealously behind the guy they're meant to be behind in the main event of a WrestleMania show. Yeah. <laughs> like, because you're just not used to that in your time watching. I'm used to it, the crowd being, you know, well, being subverted, you know, because they, they aren't happy with it. And yeah, it was, it was a refreshing change, I'd say. So yeah, I don't think it's entirely nostalgia at all. Um, I don't know how much it was the sort of age that you were. But it's definitely, you know, it's a good story. It's an understandable, sensible story as well. Mm. Yeah, it's always a lot easier to get on board with wrestling uh, storylines when all the, the people involved are acting logically, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you've got a sense of, like, you know Triple H's character, and it's fairly consistent every week. Yeah. Uh, and you know Batista's character, and you can see the the growth or the... Evolution, as it were. Yeah. Hey. Hey, right. Um, symbolic to that. I just uh, very quickly say on that as well, I really like Ric Flair's role in it, in that he's constantly mediating. And like you can clearly tell that Triple H to an extent, but especially Ric Flair uh, bricking it over the idea of Batista turning heel. Um, but Ric Flair's like sort of saying to Batista, okay, look, you know, we've, you know, we've known since the start, Hunter and I, that, you know, when he's ready to step aside, you are going to be the guy. And as long as you're, you know, as long as you're patient, your patience will be rewarded. And Batista's like agreeing with it because, you know, it's a perfectly reasonable argument Flair's making. But at the same time, Batista is thinking about, well, I've seen what you do to your underlings if they do too well, because you did it to Randy Orton six months ago. Yeah. And yeah, the dynamic of that's really cool. I, I approve of it a lot. And it's it's a shame for Randy Orton that he sort of got thrown under the bus a bit in the end for it to work. But I mean, things worked out for Orton. Okay, yeah. So I, I'm not going to shed too many tears for him. Yeah, I think Orton's probably pretty happy and has a great gimmick going at the minute. Uh, but that's modern day product. Who cares? Yeah. Um, so he, Batista's over on SmackDown now. And... It's not quite square one, but he has feuds with uh, JBL and is unfortunately locked in a feud with Eddie Guerrero just around the time of his death, which is um, it's probably uh, quite a depressing thing when you're still the, the younger guy and the veteran that you're feuding with and probably learning a lot from and who's making you look amazing is... Um, is no longer there. Yeah. Uh, I think there's probably a, an Eddie Guerrero appreciation out where we can go into it a, a lot more. But yeah, uh, just what a, let's just note here what a tragic loss Eddie Guerrero was. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, breaking. Yeah. So we're into the winter of 2005, and while reigning World Heavyweight Champion, he also now wins the tag belts with uh, Rey Mysterio uh, from Eminem, which I think is has got to be related to the fact that, that around the same time he's started a uh, off-screen relationship with uh, Melina, who's going out with John, Mor- John Morrison, Johnny Nitro at the time. So it's a little bit blurring real life and backstage politics 
it's just a, a weird little angle. There's always Batista seems like a pretty nice guy up to this point, and then there's this backstage business where he's the biggest star and steals a smaller star's girlfriend. Mm. And I think that possibly the first foot he puts wrong where he, people start to go, wait, has this guy been handed everything? Like, do we not like him now? Or there, there's just a, a wrinkle appears there. Yeah. Uh, and this like little tag belt switcheroo. It's just quite a strange, a, a strange little story in, in December, but December's a weird time for wrestling anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but then in January 2006, he uh, tears his triceps uh, in a what would have been a setup for presumably his mania match with Mark Henry. And he has to drop the belt. And that means he misses uh, what would almost definitely be another headline of WrestleMania, albeit this time on SmackDown. Uh, and he's out for six months and vacates the title. Bit of a setback for Big Dave. Yeah. I think unlike the previous injury we were talking about, this one was unambiguously a bad thing because he left at the top of the card and when he returned, he, you know, it took him a little bit of time before he returned there. Um, and he, I remember at the time being a bit disappointed with his return, like just in that he'd always seemed like he was you know really cool and so on but then you're seeing him get like foiled in feuds with king booker and Mm. losing uh back-to-back matches against mr kennedy and he's also got quite a bit of ring rust after being away for six months um and it was a little bit disappointing but i think up to that injury for me is sort of like the prime batista that i remember yeah. Um, and yeah, after that is when, like, he's just a, you know, upper mid card to main event guy. At least in, you know, my recollection. Like, it's not like he doesn't do anything after that. We're going to talk about some of the cool stuff he did after that. But that, that to me is the end of, like, the golden age. And then after that, it's sparks in a sea of good rather than, you know, just amazing generally. Yeah, it's more modern day WWE, not prime WWE. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think you're right. I think up to this point, he's not put a foot wrong, really, or the booking of him has not really gone wrong. Uh, might have been nice for him to stay on Raw and build the star there, but you, you can't be on top forever. And probably going to SmackDown was better than him losing to Triple H eventually. Yeah, uh, playing second fiddle to John Cena with them on the same brand. Yeah, it was SmackDown was a good move. He probably would have had a great feud with Mark Henry had he not been injured. And then SmackDown realised they've got something in Booker T as this mad King Booker character yeah. and his and his court of William Regal and Dave Finlay, which well we talk about SmackDown in 2006 all the time, but we might have to do a. King Booker's Court Appreciation Hour. Uh, <laughs> because there's three top boys in there. Uh, yeah, so he comes back and Batista's back, but he can't quite win the belt back from Booker at SummerSlam. And all throughout the autumn, he's trying to get the belt back from Booker and he can't do it. And Booker's the sneaky heel who keeps getting away with it. 
and you can see that he's not he's not there in the same way he was before. Yeah. And then, but then at Survivor Series, he gets the title back, and he has a feud in the winter of that time with Mr. Kennedy. Again, Mr. Kennedy is another guy who's like he's so close to being there, but he's not, and it all goes wrong for him. Uh, and he's the champion going into WrestleMania, and he has to fight uh, who won the Royal Rumble, and that just so ha- happens to be the Undertaker. The Undertaker. Yeah, I'm going to put a gong in that one. <laughs> prob- probably. Or I might just leave this in and let everyone imagine the gong. <laughs> and yeah, so- what gong? We didn't hear a gong. <laughs> I yeah. heard a gong. Oh, God. <laughs> so now, it, now it's buried regardless of which way Jack does it. <laughs> yeah, so at WrestleMania 23, uh, Batista fights The Undertaker. And we all know what happens when you fight The Undertaker at WrestleMania. But uh, while we were chatting about this episode, James, you said that this is one of your favourite Undertaker matches. Yeah, like, it doesn't do anything, like, super-duper amazing as such, but it's just everything it does is immaculate. Like, Batista has, you know, ever since, you know, late 2004, early 2005, he's been a face but there's no way the slightly lukewarm compared to where he was defending champion is going to be able to play the face against the undertaker. Who's not been champion since uh, I want to say since 1997 at this point, (laughs) which is kind of incredible in its own right. The undertaker hadn't held the belt in all that time. Um, Had he really not held the belt at all in that time? I don't believe so. I, I might be talking out of my proverbial. Did but... he not? I'm just thinking in the feud with Austin. No, Austin kept winning it, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Austin lost it too in that time was Kane because of yes. weird booking. Um, but yeah, they, um, yeah, I don't, I might be talking rubbish and, you know, we can fact check it and, you know, if I'm yeah. not, then you can add a voice overlay here saying <laughs> you know, how stupid I am. Um, but I believe Taker hadn't held the belt for 10 years at that point. Um, or nine and a half, whatever, you know, near enough 10 years. Um, so the fans were pretty unanimously behind Undertaker and Batista, who hadn't been playing a heel, you know, since he joined the main event, suddenly has to play the heel and he does it perfectly. And... I'm not a massive fan of like melodrama with my matches. Um, I just prefer it to tell a coherent story. So I'm not as huge on some of the Undertaker's later matches where, you know, the sheer idea of him losing the streak becomes this, you know, unthinkable, absurd thing. Like I personally, I don't want to break hearts, but the end of an era match he has with Triple H is <laughs> one of my least favorite ones of his streak because the entire thing is just like so meta and it bothers me. Um, like the Shawn Michaels matches are great, but that's just because the first one's a great match in and of itself. And the second one's Shawn Michaels retirement match, the Triple H, his first match with the Undertaker, or I guess technically his second, but his first of the later matches with the Undertaker. Um, is really good because it's the story of 
is the Undertaker everything that he was before? And like they tell that story really well. But I think otherwise, um, like I'd put those two Shawn Michaels matches, the first or second of those Triple H matches, and Edge as the only ones that I put ahead of this one with Batista. So it makes my top five Undertaker Mania matches, which obviously, you know, with most other wrestlers saying, oh, yeah, it's in my top five. That's not saying that much. But with The Undertaker at WrestleMania, that's a hell of a statement. Um, yeah. And it's down to both Undertaker and Batista. Like, there's a lot of cool spots in the match. You've got, you know, like um, Undertaker goes to, uh, you know, try and uh, chokeslam Batista through one of the announce tables and Batista reverses it and does a running power slam from one announce table to the other to disintegrate the table and the Undertaker. Um, and then they get back in the ring and like there's a, you know, reversal fest. It's just all really well done. Um, and yeah, it's one of my favorite, most underrated Undertaker matches. It's definitely one of my favorite Batista matches. Uh, I think like I stopped watching before Batista left, but for me, it's the last great singles match that Batista had. Yeah. Uh, I think. It kind of says it all here in our like timeline document that we've got. It's up to this WrestleMania match, and then he doesn't get the title back. He moves on to a feud with the Great Carly. It's some very dark times. Dark, like the Great Carly gets this mega push on SmackDown, and he's not a good enough worker for it. Yeah. Uh, and so in this time. He's just, he's always near the top of the card, but you can't, he's had a decent run at this point, about five years at the top of the card. Yeah. But you have to, the business, this business moves up. Uh, my plates has gone completely wrong. Uh, uh, Savage, hasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, what, what's Triple H like? I gave it all. Uh, well, come Sunday, you better bring your all. That kind of thing. There's, there's um, always a little bit of reverb on Triple H as well, isn't there? It's, like, it's time uh, to play the game. Uh. <laughs> reverb that he puts on himself. Clearly, he doesn't trust Kevin Dunn at the back with the <laughs> with the like visual mixer, and he's like, "No, uh, you make sure you put the uh, visual, the reverb on my microphone when I'm out there doing my promo." He goes out. He's like, "Kevin, uh, have you put the reverb?" Uh, and my promo, no, <laughs> Randy Savage. This that has gone. Sounded like a like a Cartman impression. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if like, he has to do some like effects elsewhere. Like, does his voice echo? Or does he just have to go? Hello, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> right. So much like uh, Batista post WrestleMania 2007, this has gone in a bit of a mire. <laughs> Uh, so during this time, Cena is the top dog, uh, and Batista's probably, possibly second, but also Orton's in the picture. He's not the top guy anymore, and he's been treated pretty well up to this point. And it's during a feud with Cena in 2009 that he leaves, uh, and he he walks out. And you're thinking, is this is this the end for Batista in the WWE? Uh, 
we we don't know. And it, he has a good a good five years away with like as far as I'm aware, not too much rumours of like is Batista coming back? What's Batista doing? Like James, do you have any recollection of like Batista returning rumours? No. So I mean, I the period that I wasn't watching for was from WrestleMania in 2008 through to Money in the Bank 2011, um, which we can go into on another episode, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so I didn't, I wasn't there for when he left, but I don't recall there being much in the way of rumors that he was returning from when I started watching again up until he did return. Yeah. So in late uh, December, he always seems to pop up around December. I wonder if that's, that's just this weird timing cycle that he, he manages to come back for the busiest time of year. He's an uh, elf. He only oh. exists in, around Christmas time. I was going to go with that he's Santa Claus. So we both have similar, <laughs> similar track lines. Uh, they, they start airing vignettes saying that Batista's going to be back. He's back in uh, January and he says he's going to enter the Royal Rumble. Now, uh, early 2014, there's some other stuff happening around this time. And is it fair to say the antithesis of Batista is currently the top face in the company in Daniel Bryan? Yeah, I'd say that Batista fell victim to the toxic legacy of Daniel Bryan. <laughs> always good, always play the hits. Yeah. Uh, so Batista returns to the Royal Rumble and he wins the Royal Rumble. And the chorus of boos. Yes. A lot of boos. And they're presenting him as a face at this point. And yeah. he's getting... He's this getting... He starts shouting fuck you at the audience, isn't he? <laughs> he does uh, shout that. I think at a specific person at the audience. Oh, while, okay. the, while the camera is on him celebrating his Royal Rumble victory. Is it a particular person or just a fan who's... Oh yeah, I, I don't th- I don't think it's like a guy he knows or anything. But yeah. I think someone in the crowd has said something to him and he just shouts out, fuck you, while the camera's <laughs> on it. But yeah, yeah. your note says it all for this mage of Bootista. Yeah. And yeah, he, re- they, this is supposed to be a big return. It's been out of the company for five years and it doesn't work. And then he, as the Royal Rumble winner, he goes on to WrestleMania 30 as the, uh, as the challenger. But who, who else manages to pop into that match? Uh, Scott Armstrong, the crooked referee. <laughs> and Claych gets involved, right? Yeah. And uh, the final crowning glory moment of Daniel Bryan, the end of his toxic legacy, or yeah. the beginning of his toxic legacy. Or a period in the middle. <laughs> or, or a period in the middle of his toxic legacy. One delete as appropriate. Yeah. Uh, and so... A lot like happened with Randy Orton, how he had to be the first to leave Evolution and the wheels got chopped out from under him. Batista's big return has been completely just, it's dead in the water because the movement behind Daniel Bryan is so strong at this point, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I said they tried to transfer it onto Batista. Yeah. Like... Because they tried to push Batista as being the antithesis to Randy Orton. Yeah. Which made no sense to 
like both in terms of what they were like, you know, behind the scenes, what was going on backstage politics wise, and also the story that had been set up, you know, a decade earlier where they'd been stable mates. Like just none of it made any sense. But I do feel really bad for Batista here because I think it's fair to say it's not his fault what happened. And I also think it's fair to say that most wrestling fans like Batista, but he came in at what was an unfortunate time for several reasons. So obviously people wanted Daniel Bryan in the main event and that's what they got. And Batista had to tap out clean to him to put him over. And that's, you know, he was brought back in. Like at first when he was brought back in, he wanted to be a heel and they said, no, you're going to be a face, but don't worry, you're going to win in the main event of WrestleMania. And he was like, oh, fine then. And so now he's brought back in as a face when he didn't want to be brought back in as a face. Then he's turned heel, but made to look a lot worse than he'd envisioned and then doesn't get the championship reign that he's been promised and has to lose instead. Like, And this happened all at the same time that CM Punk rather acrimoniously split from WWE and one of the main reasons Punk was known to be pissed off with the company was that they had a penchant for favouring part-time wrestlers and not giving the people that were there working day in and day out the chance to shine. And so the notion that the perennial crowd favourite was having his spot taken away by this part-time movie star who's you know, not wrestled in five years. It was like a perfect storm of shit, basically. Yeah. And it could have gone. So he leaves in June 2014 and it could have gone really, really badly. He could have disappeared and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy could have bombed and we, we may never have heard from Batista again. Uh, but that doesn't happen. Like we touched on at the start of the episode, Guardians of the Galaxy becomes this huge smash hit, like the, a bigger hit than anyone was expecting it to be. It was like this weird 70s space opera comic. And everyone's like, "What? what is this? But Chris Pratt's very handsome and very funny. Batista's very funny. It's like the first amazingly funny Marvel film. And... All of a sudden, Batista's looking like the smartest man in the world for walking out of WWE when it wasn't working for him. Yeah, and allegedly he'd talked about, um, like before the film came out, he'd talked about making a brief return just to do publicity. You know, I'm in this film and, you know, you know, cross promotion, the standard fare. And Triple H allegedly scoffed at him on the phone that, no, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, no one's ever heard of this. What makes you think that it's a good idea to even do the cross promotion? Which, you know, is fair. Not everyone can star in The Chaperone. Um, <laughs> or Blade Trinity, like uh, yeah. comic book films, they're never going anywhere. Yeah. If Triple H uh, can't make the wrestler into a comic book uh, transition, then why should anyone else be able to? Am I right? Yeah. But I, I should say that is allegedly. But it's but not it the rings true. <laughs> it, it very much does ring true. Uh, so now we're the the doors are open for it, or it seems like there's the potential for a return. He talks about coming back for the WrestleMania this year, and WWE give him short shrift again, and they don't call him back. 
even though like he's a bona fide megastar, probably in terms of wrestlers in Hollywood, only second behind The Rock at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it seems like a very odd decision not to have him par- partake in WrestleMania in any way if they like if he wants to. And he's said in interviews since on that 2014 run that he came back and he put some guys over and he's happy about that, which is, is probably the good attitude for a, a established veteran to have. Yeah, like he could rightfully have a huge ego about the whole thing because, you know, he wasn't in the company for too long, but the entire time there he was either positioned as an obvious future main eventer or just as a main eventer. And so to have him come back, admittedly he was still appearing in the main events, but I think other than the Royal Rumble, the only person he actually beat in his entire time back was Alberto Del Rio. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He, he could, and you know, he'd been, you know, promised stuff that wasn't then delivered to him and he was ignored on what he thought he was going to be. He had his movie role scoffed at allegedly and so on. Um, but yeah, he just seems to have a positive attitude about it, which is really cool. Like if it's not obvious by now, I'm a huge Batista mark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you don't do an hour and a half recording talking about Batista without saying, yes, we are. I think we are all Batista marks. Um, yeah, and he, I'm looking forward to seeing him back on SmackDown, and I kind of hope that he immediately just fucks Evolution off and batters them both. That would um, be cool if the segment ended with him doing the thumbs down and giving them Batista bombs. Yeah. Poss- uh, possibly not a Batista bomb for Ric Flair, because that might actually end his life. Well, that'd be a way to go, wouldn't it? And <laughs> the... He only got married the other day, and like he deserves some happiness. <laughs> God, he did me the pictures. Oh. Yeah. When they're doing open mouth kissing, and you can see both of their tongues. Yeah. That is something else. <laughs> yeah, and there's some. Someone's got a bum bag at that wedding. I don't know if it's Michael Haynes or <laughs> uh, Dennis Rodman. There's a lot of. There's just the pictures from Ric Flair's wedding are just certainly something you've got to see. The, the Undertaker's there. It just just serves that now. It's very yeah. good. How old uh, is this? She looks quite young. I think she's younger than Rick. Let's put it that way. I think she's. I think she's in her mid. She's either in her forties or her fifties. I think. Oh, okay, that's better than I thought. Because I, when I saw that Ric Flair got married, I was like, oh my god, she's going to be like. 21 or something and she's not she's had a I think she's a professional golfer or she's definitely a professional athlete or former professional athlete of some kind yeah Flair's only old enough to be a father not a grandfather that's good that's better than we expected (laughs) right this has gone uh we wish him every happiness although at the same time anyone who's looked at those pictures if Batista did want to turn on evolution and Batista bomb Ric Flair I think he could get a pretty large face pop if he used that as his justification. Yep. <laughs> right. So, uh, Kev, do you you've, have you got another fancy booking situation for us just to round out this episode? I have. So we've been talking about the return of one favourite. Okay. And I thought I would ask you, as the creative team at WWE, to book the return of another favourite. 
So you've got to imagine you're sitting at the creative table doing whatever you do, making paper airplanes, I suppose. Vince McMahon barges in and says, right, we want you to book the surprise return of CM Punk. And I want you to set him up to have a big match at WrestleMania. And then he leaves and goes and does that walk out of the room. So this is an interesting one because... You, the format we decided to do after it was sprung on Jack last week and then I had time to think about it and came up with like a months long plan um, was that you would tell me about this before we started the recording and yeah. then I'd have time to think about it I'd have a coherent booking plan to be able to provide at this point and meanwhile Jack can think of his own one Yeah. Um, the problem is I got carried away with just talking about Batista and I haven't thought of anything so <laughs> Time to wing it. Right. So I think the way I'm going to choose to approach this is like, I know it's a fantasy booking thing, but I'm going to try and approach it from a position of realism. And the position of realism I'm going to use is what would actually get CM Punk to agree to come back. And I think there are only two things you could do. Um, The first one is you could uh, give him what he always wanted but never got during his entire time in the company, which was the main event slot at WrestleMania. Okay. The second thing I think you could do is, if you want to, like, you don't want to spring that on him too quickly, is you need to give him the ego boost that he definitely wants, whether he'll admit it or not, of being presented as being clearly better than Triple H. Okay. Now, I'm not comfortable with having, and I mean, Punk himself at the time was was very uncomfortable with the idea of having a part-timer come in and main event WrestleMania. Yep. So, I'm going to go with the second one of those, and I'm going to say that basically... To shorten this, I'm going to essentially rehash to an extent what they did with Triple H and Sting um, leading into WrestleMania 31, where they had a big Survivor Series match uh, with Triple H's position on the line. That was at stake. And Sting debuted and cost Triple H. And that was a huge moment. And, you know, one of the coolest WWE moments of the last few years have the, you know, the the only problem with this is that it would require them to actually book Survivor Series well, which they're incapable of doing. But as an added bonus, let's say that they're booking Survivor Series well. They're putting something on the line in a mixed tag match. It's not just SmackDown versus Raw for once. Okay. Um, And we've got Triple H on one side and, you know, maybe... It's, you know, it, we're rehashing the authority for a moment where Triple H has got a guy he wants as champion. Maybe, you know, I can go with extra marks and just throw in a Roman Reigns heel turn. They're finally doing all that shit. OK. CM Punk returns, saves the day, helps Seth Rollins or whoever become champion, lead into a feud with Triple H and then at WrestleMania. Punk triumphantly beats Triple H. And then at some point over the next year, you have him turn heel on Seth Rollins. And then at 
WrestleMania uh, 2020. Oh, that's the year 2020, not, you know, 2000 odd WrestleManias from now. Okay. Uh, you have CM Punk uh, main event against Seth Rollins. Okay. So that's my, my 18 month program, but with a lot of sketchy details in it. I'm enjoying it. Thank you. And now Mate just had a good few minutes to come up with something good. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm waiting. Here we go. Okay. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. So it's given the time frame. There's going to be some similar stuff, but I think it's the end of Survivor Series, and it's I am doing SmackDown versus Raw, and I think the. Final survivor for uh, final survivor for Raw is Finn Balor, mm-hmm. and Finn and he's fighting a SmackDown guy. Let's say maybe someone like Rusev or Andrade Ormus, and uh, CM Punk's music hits, and everyone's a bit like the fuck, and uh, Punk goes straight for Balor and he batters him. And it's like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, so, but they, they do it in a way. And so the SmackDown wins and Balor has been battered. And it's like, so Punk's come back and he's gone straight after Balor. Uh, and that's Survivor Series. Nothing for the next pay-per-view. All anyone's doing is they're just talking about, like, CM Punk. Is he back? What happened? It, like, I don't know if Survivor Series is in, is in Chicago, but it definitely should be. Uh, yeah and then the next pay-per-view the one in between uh, Survivor Series and the Rumble if there is only one which I really hope there is uh, it starts and so they they just come out of the pre-show there's no pyro or anything Renee thinks she's thrown to the first match and she's not and it's darkness Punk's there in the ring and he cuts a promo and he says uh, you know he's a good talker he says Triple H, with your court case, you tried to take everything from me. Um, and I hate how, how you've become a father now to this company because you're not. You're corrupt. Uh, and your children are just, they, they've they stolen everything from me. They've stolen my fighting style. They've stolen my, my path to the, the company. And you've taken them from me. Uh, so while he's doing this promo, Balor runs in and he wants to kick Punk in the head because he's like, "What the fuck, dude? Like we we were, I thought we were cool. Like that's that seems legit." And so then Finn batters CM Punk, and we've kind of started to see it here that that Finn Balor is like this epitome of Triple H's boy from NXT. And Punk's like, you could be like, you could be doing better than this. You could be happy working elsewhere. And you, you've seen it in Balor's eyes a little bit. And he's like, I could, I've been booked shit for two years. <laughs> uh, and again, but Finn gets the upper hand on this promo. And then again, CM Punk disappears. And we're in the Royal Rumble. Finn either comes in very early or very, very late. Either way, I'm probably more dramatic if it's very early, but more telegraphed. Uh, and it looks like he's going to win the Rumble this year. And again, Punk's music costs him. 
just the music hitting and Finn Balor doesn't know what's going on and a sneaky heel comes up from behind him and chucks him out of the ring. And then at the end, maybe just up at the top, you know, his shield used to enter? Uh, in the crowd. In the crowd. And like, as Finn's walking out, a spotlight comes down on Punk and he just kind of laughs. And maybe does a bit of a promo. And uh, so Finn goes back and he talks to Triple H. He's like, what the fuck? You've got to do something about this. And he's like, okay, uh, in this business. He's like, uh, but no one wants to see old man Triple H wrestle at WrestleMania. But he has to be involved. So what I'm saying for WrestleMania is it's CM Punk versus Finn Balor with Triple H as the special guest referee. And let's say they do 15 to 20 minutes. And in the promos building up, you've got this kind of battle for the soul of the indie stars who've come in. So it's like Triple H's uh, corporate, this is the future uh, and we're just getting started with NXT and it's CM Punk saying, no, the the real interesting stuff is Ring of Honor and New Japan and whatever. Get out of this system before it destroys you. Mm-hmm. So the the match graphic has Triple H kind of on the wrong on the other side of Finn. He's not in the middle like a standard special guest referee. He's just kind of in the background like an angel and a devil on each shoulder. It's like, who is really the right guy? And the finish of the match is obviously uh, CM Punk and Finn Balor. I think Finn probably has to win because he's the younger guy with further to go. But the finish is uh, the two lads kicking the shit out of Triple H. Nice. Because that feels like it's not the main event match that Punk would have to have to come back because I honestly think Punk's done a lot of damage to his... um, to his aura doing UFC and getting battered in it. It's done him no favours whatsoever. Yeah. I think also falling out with like Colt Cabana and so on, like he's lost a lot of goodwill as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he comes back, he does uh, just about a six month run, mainly around this feud with Bella, who's got nothing better going on and Triple H is involved and maybe for Finn's entrance, he's like half demon and half, half demon and half normal Finn to show how conflicted he is between these two parties. Uh, and yeah, Triple H gets beaten up at the end of it, like and sells like he did for Rousey. Nice. Yeah. So that is my very hastily thrown together what I'd do. Nice. Can I very quickly suggest another option because. While you were talking, we looked up where Survivor Series was to see if it was Chicago. Uh, yeah. And it's not, it's LA. Um, but oh well. Um, but one of the things that came up um, was a dirt sheet rumour that the opponent that Roman Reigns is going to face at Survivor Series um, for the title is Batista. Okay. Which, first of all, I'd be down for that. Yeah. As long uh, as Batista wins. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. But secondly, it gave me the idea of how interesting it could be to have Batista win that and then in the Royal Rumble have someone that the crowd would quite like to win, like a Finn Balor or whoever, um, be one of the final people in the Rumble. He's, you know, looking in control uh, and then clock ticks down for number 30 
and number 30 is the returning CM Punk, and everyone loses their shit, gets caught up in the moment of it, is, you know, incredibly, you know, thrilled about, you know, this return of this prodigal son, he's back and so on. CM Punk triumphantly clears the ring, wins the Royal Rumble from nowhere. Yeah. And then sets up a main event match with Batista, and Punk's doing his pipe bomb stuff. And then Batista gets to be like, wait, hang on, hang on. When I was here last time, you were pissed off that I was a part-timer coming in and taking someone's spot. And I see, you know, you in the Royal Rumble. Finn Balor was looking like he was going to win that match. And then you come waltzing in part-timer. No one's, you know, expecting you. No one's exactly going to have been scouting you you know, preparing for facing CM Punk. You just waltz back in, take the easiest possible route to getting the main event of WrestleMania. You know, I smell a fix. Like, you, you know, you've never main evented a WrestleMania. That was always something that pissed you off. And now conveniently, you know, all this hatred between you and Triple H and everyone, suddenly there's water under the bridge and you're number 30 in the Royal Rumble. And then you can tell an interesting story from that, I think. And like play into that ill will that CM Punk's built up and have him be the heel. Yeah. That's nice. Have you won again by having another go at <laughs> <laughs> Going but, last again. But I've yeah. also lost, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that's how we'd book. Are you happy with those? Or, or Keb, are you happy with those? Yes, I'm uh, satisfied with those. I think maybe we should open up to the, the audience and see if who they prefer. Hope that we have home. more audience people than we do options for them to vote on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James's proper entry, Mitch's entry, James's second entry. Just to, <laughs> you gotta get your hot dog in and grandstanding in. Yeah. Maybe like when you're editing this, you can add on a second entry of your own and then yeah. you know I'd- Use well, sound wizardry to make it sound like Kevin and I are in awe of your excellent <laughs> idea. Oh, we can make noises for it. Oh. Oh, having him job to the B team in the pre-show. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> My second entry would be uh, the UFC connection and do Punk versus Lashley versus uh, Lesnar. And I'd probably have Lashley win. Um, because he's the only full-timer out. Yeah, he's the only full-timer. And... Um, the other two seem like they might be dicks. Uh, right. I feel like that's everything I wanted to say about wrestling off my chest. Anything else from either of you two? That's good. Thank you. All right. This has been the K word. You can find us on your favorite podcast apps. Like you're supposed to leave a rating and stuff. Hey, follow us on Twitter. Uh, like us on Facebook. We're more than happy to hear suggestions for the next show. We kind of, we're free to chat about whatever we want to. So yeah, finally the shackles are off. Yeah, if there's something that you really want us to talk about, if there's we've hinted at a lot of potential future episodes there. If you want us to talk about uh, London and Kendrick versus Eminem, we're more than happy to do. Like, oh, I love three, that. Three hours on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I could genuinely do such a mega episode on just SmackDown 2006. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's if you don't tell us what to do, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. Uh, 
Okay, Keb, we're starting on their New Year's Day episode of 2006. Okay, we can watch all that before we <laughs> our next episode, probably. <laughs> yeah, uh, this has been the K-Word. Thank you very much for listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back in your ears soon. Bye. Bye.